Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, goddammit! The ghost of Mike Mart has fucking inherited my son. Like, he just sounded like Mike Mart for five seconds. So, for you at home, Mike it's a possession. always struggled with the intro to get it to play, and he would always just say to me and Chuck, "Just say stop dying. I don't. I can't get it to run." <laughs> now we just lived through five minutes of a life going through that. Well, I, I got it playing. I, it wouldn't play forever. I got it playing on three different players at once. All of a sudden, oh god. Well, anyway, stop. Dying, Wait, are Chuck. we That's are we recording now? Yeah. yeah we're yes, we are. Did you did you okay. it, Chuck? Well, I hope so. I hope yeah. that didn't fuck up. But he was so stop that, Chuck. The spirit it of was Mike a Mark. theme. Yeah. It was a theme we had. Uh, uh, you know, because I'm obsessed with the opiate overdose death rate climbing. As it evolved, it became a music show, a survival show, or uh, whatever it is. And and then our leader, our fearless leader, our engineer, our producer, our co-host got sick and he's passed away. And it's and Smog said it on the last episode. It I've had a lot of people die in my life, and I've never felt the absence of energy like Mike Mart not being alive. Like I, you know, Smog was talking about he never cried so much. Like yeah, I, I, you know, I just like it's. He's just always been there in our lives. He just he seems like he's been around there since the beginning of time. And I know that our guests to uh, celebrate Mike, Johnny Two Bags, he's always been in your life too, like forever and today. And it's a huge, I don't want to say I'm like morbid or sad or crying in that sad way. It's just this huge, like, you can't imagine the world without Mike Martin in it. For good yeah. or bad. For good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a little yeah. bit of Mike came back right there when Elijah was going, God damn it, why is it not playing? <laughs> but but see, the best part of that, though, is we all enjoyed that fact. He, he may not be here, but I'm still smiling at the fact that Mike Mart was. So You guys have no is. idea. I don't know how many, we 150, 200 shows we've done. Like I would say two thirds. Yeah, this is episode two sixty one. Okay, two thirds of them. Mike started with "God damn it, I can't get the thing to fucking play." Just say <laughs> "Stop dying, yeah. Chuck," and I would refuse to say "Stop dying, Chuck" because it doesn't have the same enthusiasm without hearing the intro. And <laughs> you just did that. So, Johnny, I want to jump right in. You, you, you've you've been in bands with Mike. It seems like you would have been at one point or another. The great no, Johnny just, Two Bags. Just, just, <laughs> just for a second, I played when he was going to put out Tomorrow Shines Bright, which was probably about what, maybe 12 Eight or years, 15. Oh, 10, oh, was, 10 years. Yeah. Long I think it was over than over 10 for sure. Um, um, he asked me to play in the band. Xander was playing, obviously, and Xander played oh, on the record God. and everything. But then something happened, no. as, <laughs> as, oh, as it no. does just, between them. I just had, I had this, so for those of you that don't know, so 
Thelonious Monster had an ever-evolving cast, but the real main creative forces were Dick Steny, Xander Schloss, and Mike Mart. And so just that would in, come in and out and quit and be back and whatever. And so we made a record in 2019. And it was just because Chris Hansen, who was like the rhythm guitar player, kind of the artsy fart part of, of, of Thelonious. He was my high school friend. We had bands in high school that sounded like crass and stuff. And, uh, and so Chris couldn't really <laughs> be the main guitar player, right? So we're rehearsing. It's my time playing bass, Pete playing drums, Chris Hansen playing guitar, and me. And we're trying to write songs to make a new album. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that we couldn't come up with ideas, but we couldn't fully realize them musically. So, like, about four days into this writing sessions, I said, so I don't know what you guys think, but should... And I just said, you know, we needed to call in more musicality, right? And I said... Xander or Mike? And everyone in the room <laughs> said, neither one. <laughs> oh, no. They both, oh. they both were so difficult. You know it, Johnny. They were both had their own difficulties in working together as a team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, but, 2003 was Tomorrow Shines Bright. 20, 20 years, years ago. ago? Oh, my God. Well, wow. I just I just looked it up because I was it didn't seem like it was that long ago. God, that's amazing. But, so you were going to be in that band, but did you see Funeral? How far back do you go with Mike? I no, know eighty two no, is when not I met even. Mike Mar. When did you I meet met, him? I met him in probably eighty nine at Raji's Cadillac Tramps. Yeah, you know what? We were we were um, we were. I I talked I put on my my Mike Mart post on Instagram the other day. I told the story i um we were playing at Raji's, the cadillac tramps and warren the bass player and i drove up together and he had just uh bought a brand new ranger ford ranger pickup truck and uh, we were in the alley behind Raji's, and warren was inside and i was standing out by the truck because our amps were in the bed of the truck and mike comes shuffling up the alley <laughs> in those boots in those damn engineer boots that he used to wear that were so broken they were so worn out that they wouldn't stay up do you yeah. remember those boots yeah they felt like bad socks <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like stretched out socks <laughs> and so <laughs> and he walks up to me and goes hey man that's a nice pickup truck is that yours? <laughs> and, and you know, and the only I can't do a good impression. Was he gonna anybody, steal but, it? It sounds <laughs> no, like he was gonna he, steal it. Was it. That, it was that way. Of, it was that way he had of making you feel like, like a fancy motherfucker or something. Like <laughs> you know, like like because it was a brand new truck, and it was like I I got so self conscious about it. I'm like, no, no, this is this is my buddy's truck. He's inside right now. We're loading in. I said, this isn't my truck. I just rode up with him. I go. I drive a 73 Pinto. <laughs> I'm one which of you, the, Mike Martin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which was the truth, right? That was, <laughs> that was, that was my car. And hence not but, driving it from C Costa Mesa to LA for a gig because it wouldn't make it. Right. <laughs> but Mike but, had that way, right? It's kind of like in that song on that record, shoes. You know, it's, it's yeah. exactly the way he's talking about that lawyer's shoes. Is, I kind of felt the same way about how he was talking about the truck. Yeah. And then, <laughs> he had a, and then, he and, definitely had a classism 
that he did. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a chip on his shoulder. It was he didn't like this system in a deep in a deep way. He didn't like the capitalist system. Right. Yeah. He, he would talk to me like, you know, they should, the government should just pay us to write songs. They used to do that in the 30s. And I said, Mike, no one's going to pay us to write songs. That's for sure. <laughs> like, well. You know what I mean? Because he had read something about the, what was that program, Elijah, where they paid artists to be artists, the work something in the 30s? Not, not the Tin Pan Alley. Thing. No, when they, no. When they the wrote for the labels paid for the you to write songs. It's know. like what they do in Holland or Europe or anything. It, it was Canada. Woody Guthrie. Yeah, Gut Canada too, right? Canada, yeah, they have Guthrie, support in every other major country. Woody, <laughs> no, but there was a time when Americans are not listening. America did that for like nine years, and Mike Martin was trying to go back to 1939, saying the government <laughs> should just pay us to write songs like they used to. And I, I said they did it. it during the depression because people were starving to death, Mike. We're choosing to live like this. <laughs> and, and, and it just like, you know, I had this house that I never locked the door. I don't even think it had a door that you could lock. And I would come home and Mike always just be sitting in this red chair playing acoustic guitar, like most of 87, 88, 89. He would just be in my house. And and to have that person, and then, you know, you fade away from bandmates, John. I'm sure you have. You, you kind of you get doing something else, and it kind of just fades away. And you don't, like, I, Smog and I were talking. We hadn't seen each other in, like, a year and a half or two years. You just fade away. But Mike never faded away out of my life. Never. I've known or seen Mike Mart every few days for 40 years. And now he's gone. That's so great. Oh, man. And yeah. most of it was arguing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, you guys hid that for me because I didn't like it when my daddy fought. You guys did a good job of staying <laughs> civil. Not, we I, never fought meanly. We just had, uh, you know, whatever. We just saw things differently. And and there's there's a, a you know, Mike thought, you know, he says it in that song. I I just I just listened to it. Finally, somebody sent me a, a SoundCloud of it. The chorus of Bobby Kennedy says, I'm in love with things that can never be. That that defines Mike Mart more than any other thing. He was in love with things that will never be. Mm -hmm. Right? And yeah. and he was a romantic. And you know, I told Devin, like, he, you know, I, I don't want to, you don't want to be, you know, it's hard because a person just passed or they were sick or they were dying or they're dead or whatever. But the fact is, I've been saying it for 30 years about Mike. He has the heart of a lion and the mind of an innocent child. He saw the world in this innocent, like, I don't know, this uh, just like what I always perceived as unrealistic way that, that, that was not naive. It was just who gives a fuck. And I, I kept saying to him, I've said to him a thousand times, you're supposed to give a fuck, Mike. You're supposed to give a fuck. And you're like, ah, what can you do? Fuck it. Ah, yeah, who cares? You know what I mean? And yeah. and I think that in his AA life is the only time he really put it out there, that vulnerability and caring and like, because with his music, he would quit and he wouldn't do it He'd all around. And, you know, it was always chaotic, but in his sobriety, it wasn't. In his sobriety, it was like very straight down the middle. Then you experience a lot of sobriety with him, John. 
Yeah, in Long Beach when he first got sober for a while, we were we were you know in the same. Are you the longest sober person in all of our circle of friends? How long are you sober? Thirty-six years. Oh my God, you're the champion. You're beyond yeah. Wag, right? Like, what is Wag? No, Wag. I think Wag might have a year on me. Thirty. Oh, okay. Or two about, years. Yeah. You're, you're not about, like, like. I remember you high. That's how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a couple there's a couple people that were around when I when I first showed up um, that have you know about four but uh, no sorry maybe two years more yeah so like thirty eight really? years yeah I mean what's that like and I know I wanted to talk about an experience so you. And I don't know how much you want to talk about your sobriety. First off, are you cool with talking about it? Or are you kind of like, yeah, private? I'm fine. With it, okay. Yeah. So I was sitting at a 12 step meeting. I'm not going to say where, but it was a co Cuban coffee house in Silver Lake, a very anonymous building that no one knows about in this super secret society. I'm sitting there and I haven't seen you in like two years. And you come and you sit next to me and you're almost vibrating. I don't know if you remember this. And you sat down next to me and I hadn't seen you around meetings and you were shaking, your leg was shaking like that Bob Dylan shake, and you just seemed really uncomfortable. And you shared with me that you hadn't been in a meeting in a long time. You hadn't yeah. relapsed, but you hadn't been in a meeting a long time. Dude, in that moment, I, do you think you were like that in regular life, but just coming back into the meeting after a couple of years and not going to meetings, does it make you just so nervous and your leg shaking and your, your energy level was so intense? I remember sitting there wanting to hug you, but I didn't know what to do. Like, it's going to be okay. And when you told me, yeah, I didn't relapse. I just stopped going to meetings. This is the first meeting I've been back to. Remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I totally remember that exact was, period of time. What were you feeling in Someone, that hour? One of our one of our mutual friends that I had just met for the first time right around that time thought that I was brand new, and he he came up and started talking to me. He goes, "Hey, man, it's going to be all right." You know, just <laughs> how many how many days how many how many days do you have? <laughs> right. It was it, his initials are a a. Uh, his, his initials are AR. Yeah, AR. Okay. I knew who it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, so, <laughs> and so what was, so I it really, was, I've always thought about that. I've always thought like how <laughs> courageous you were to not, did you want to use or you just didn't want to use? You just, what happened in that? No, I've, that's I've never more wanted. Interesting. That's more interesting to our community. To I've never so wanted you, to use since that since that obsession was finally went away. So you know, what I've happened? Never wanted you to stop use again. going. What made you stop going? I was just in the van for for about six years on the road constantly, and it just broke that habit of going. And and when I'd come back into town, maybe I'd hit one or two meetings, um, but it wasn't a regular thing. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Things got to be a habit for me, right? And as soon as I break it, it's really hard to get get it going again. But um, but doing that doesn't serve me well at all. I just I find that that being around recovery, it it gets me in touch with a certain type of humility, and it gets me in touch with, you know, all the all the basics that you hear about, some gratitude and um, because I'll get I'll I'll get off I get all fucked up, man. I get like just really like kind of uh, and get a lot of entitlement going and shit and um. It it's is. hard to it's it's so, weird and 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 the thing is is that fear you know that we grew up with right the 
that that it's i'm just defaulted to to, to it, it just comes back i'll just fall right back yeah. into all that same those same thinking patterns that same all those you know things that are just so innate in in my character and, and the uh, that's where that's where i was at when that day probably in that meeting yeah that that just, that state of mind my friend Mark Cates calls it a fixed mindset. We have a fixed mindset that we return back to. It's a yeah. very fear-driven mindset. Mine no, always is like, I'm a loser. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what am zero, I doing? Zero self-worth. Yeah. Zero, zero self-worth. And, and it's so strange to that you just go to meetings for a few weeks and you don't think that way anymore. And I've, I've experienced that hundreds of times in 27 years. Where, you know, I just, like, I, I started going back to meetings a couple months ago. Elijah had his anniversary, and I went, and then I went to another friend's anniversary, and then I went a couple times on my own. And so, all of a sudden, I've gone to four meetings in, like, eight days. And I, I'm like, I haven't done this in a long time. And I feel calmer, and I feel like I can deal with things better. And then I immediately stop going to meetings. <laughs> yeah. I've right. done it over and over, and too. I mean? Right. It's, yeah. It's, like, it's so crazy. That it I've does done it over and over you. and over. Yeah. yeah. It, and and I'm big on Gloria Scott was my mentor, and she would say she she's the one that really gave me a way to be sober in NAA. And that was if you don't like it and it's making you crazy, just tune it out. All that matters is that you're there. And when I got yeah. permission to tune out things I didn't like, I started tuning into things I do like. Right. And I started mm-hmm. looking forward to people like you, Johnny sharing, or, uh, you know, there's like a handful of guys that I looked up to Floyd. I loved hearing him share. Yeah. There was certain yeah. people just shared really good. Pete Weiss is a great sharer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just look, I looked forward to those people sharing. And then when I knew the people that I didn't like sharing got picked on, I would just tune it out. <laughs> I, would just, I would think like, I'm going to go to Trader Joe's. I'm going to get those cinnamon sugar uh, uh, pita chips <laughs> and I'm gonna you know, <laughs> you know what I mean and then they were it was over in three minutes and then I could focus back in on what I did like it that was and that was a main thing that I could tune out things that just drove me nuts but I was given permission to do that because at the rehabs they told you you have to listen even more intensely because there's something wrong with you that you need to resolve like no just turn it out the second one was okay you know what you don't believe in. You disagree with this person. You disagree with that person. You know what you don't believe. What do you believe? When when Gloria Scott confronted me with that, I had no fucking idea what I believed. I was so adversarial and oppositional. I only knew what I didn't believe. I didn't know what I believed. And that was a years and years journey to try to figure out what is the value of AA to me? What is God? What is love? What is what is the, what is the point of existing? You know, these are the deep questions I think Bill Wilson really thought we would all ask. And it, it, you know, I, and I what isn't that like the the whole idea of bo- of what both of you guys are talking about are like doing this like with intention? You know, I didn't I, I accidentally, kind of on purposely, but more accidentally, ended up a drug addict. And an alcoholic living the way I was living. I didn't plan that. But when I got sober, it was with intent. And it was something I had to work at. And when I don't work at it, it, it slips out from under me. I have to have intention, whether it's the way I'm looking at a meeting or whether it's I'm just getting to a meeting. There has to be that intent. I've got to be moving forward on it. 
Otherwise it does, it goes away. And I forget all that stuff. When I'm around my people, when I'm amongst my tribe, I'm reminded of why I do the things I, but I what do. Is it? I, I always try to figure it out. And Mike and I would talk about this. What is what? it that, 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 hum, that brings us back to zero, brings us back to normal, what Johnny just described? I don't know what it is. Because it's certainly not a, any profundity I'm hearing. No. I mean, I've been, I, if you figure, so I've actually been going to AA, I don't know how long you were going before you got sober, Johnny, but I've been going to AA since 1984 was my first meeting. So that would be almost 40 years of AA. I've heard pretty much everything they're going to say. I don't know if you were there. The most fucking heaviest fucking thing I ever saw in AA is this guy that used to go to Yucca and Gower um his wife died in a car accident with their child and then he kind of had disappeared and and you know nobody knew and not everybody knew them very well and and but the it was so tragic like the wife and his wife the, the rewards of his sobriety had been killed in a car accident and nobody had seen him and and you know and i think his name was carl and uh and about two weeks after the, the, the tragedy, he just walked into the noon meeting. And the meeting was going, and some girl was sharing about her fucking cat. And he walked right in the front doors, walked <laughs> right down the middle aisle, and stood next to the podium waiting for her to stop sharing. And he was not going to raise his hand. He was going to share. And he walked in, and this is what he said. He said, my name is Carl. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Carl. Uh I just wanted to come here because I know a lot of you are talking about what's happened and what's going on with me and whatever. And I just wanted to tell everyone in this room, I am fucking sober and I don't appreciate hearing people talk and gossip about me that I'm not sober. I just am not in the right place to be around people right now. And he said, thank you for letting me share. And he walked out and it was the heaviest human thing I ever saw in my life. Yeah. Like, and you don't see that sitting at home listening to the fucking Beach Boys. You just don't see real life. I've seen such real life in in AA and such real human drama. And I've heard a lot of bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Yeah. Were you there yeah. that day, Johnny? Do you remember that? <coughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. That was the heaviest fucking thing, right? Yeah. And did I get it right? Like it was his wife and kid died in a car accident. It's so horrible. I can't imagine. Yeah, that's insane. And so, and that the courage. Thing is, a big you know, part I, about yeah. A big part of this whole thing is I really love the community of it. I just yeah. do. You know what I mean? It's like it's always, um, it's always been there for me. I've gotten so yeah. much support from people since the very beginning. If I if I'm if I'm there and I'm asking for it and, and I'm willing to just show up, it's there and it always has been and that really means a lot to me because you know people will say that that's not what it's about. It's not about the fellowship. It's about you know this or that or getting into the book or right you know. But yeah, I, think, I know. What what is the what is this is basis this base this is based on one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. So that's fellowship. Right. And how did Mike how did Mike play into that? Was Mike like uh you know I just I didn't go to many meetings with Mike, just Hollywood Canteen. When moved, once he moved to Long Beach, I I didn't really go to meetings with him anymore. Only in he Hollywood. Meeting at the studio. Oh yeah, I went right. to that one. I remember that. 
And that was a great meeting. And that meeting helped so many people. So many new people went to that meeting. It was amazing. Yeah, that was right. really strong for years. Yeah, that was hundred. That was a lot of people. And I then eventually, that. he just didn't even go into it anymore. But he was still having the meeting. <laughs> right. He would sit in the back and smoke cigars. Right. Yeah. He kept telling me, you got to come to my meeting, you know, it's at the studio, you got to come down here. And so then, um, then I, I did a couple times and I noticed like he would start the meeting, get the cook coffee and whatever, get going. And then I'd be sitting in there with a bunch of people I don't know. And I'd look around and Mike wouldn't be in there. So I snuck <laughs> around over by his house and him and Smitty are sitting in the backyard smoking cigars. I'm like, there's a meeting going on, gentlemen. <laughs> you, you said that. Just trying to, you know, remind everyone there's newcomers here. We might want to impress them with our wisdom. Well, he's being of service hosting. He doesn't need to. <laughs> but uh, hey, that was really wild for you to describe that day at Tropical. Because um, I, I never forgot it. I don't know why. I just never forgot it. Yeah, to hear you tell it back to me, what you what you saw in me, because because AR said the same thing, man. He was like, dude, you were like, you had this wild look in your eyes, and you looked like you were totally kicking. But you sat down next to me and said, I haven't used, I just haven't been to a meeting in a long time. You said that to me, so yeah. I knew that you had used or made. You know, I always take people at face value, especially people like you. You you're an honest person, like uh, you know. If Dick Stenny said that, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> There's a great story about, well, not Dick's, but Hal, Marty Goldberg. So my, I pull up to park at Tropical and I see Hal and I know he's struggling and, and you know, he's, he's having a hard time and I love him and I, he's like a brother to me. And so I'm parking and I see him and I'm walking from down, you know, south of Tropical up the walkway. And I see him see me. He's talking to somebody. And I see him walk around the corner and leave. And I somebody's talking to me. And I was looking for Hal because I knew he only had like five days or 13 days or whatever. And, and I walked around the corner. But right as the meeting was starting to see where he went. And I walked inside and he wasn't inside. And I, so I texted him, are, are you coming? And he had no response. So then a couple of days later, I asked him like, dude, was, uh, did I do something wrong? Like, what, why did you walk away from Tropical? And he goes, I got panicked because I had seen you a few days before and I lied to you about how many days I had. And then I knew you were going to ask me how many days I had. And I didn't know what I told you the first time. So, so I said, Hal, you need to know something. I always ask how many days you have just to whatever number you say, I'm going to go, Oh, great. That's so good. That's so, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> I don't keep track of everybody's days. I just want to encourage newcomers. Like that's awesome. It's harder to stay sober 13 days than it is 27 years and 13 days. It's way fucking harder. Right. And all these old timers that say, yeah, it's just as hard now. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. That's a lie. To have, you know, 11 days and make it to that 12th day is a miracle. Yeah. It's a miracle. It to deal with, with a bunch of years sober and deal with the reality of life, especially if you don't, you know, well, whatever. It's, it can get difficult, but it's not like trying to get days. It's not. Like, I, and I, yeah, I, 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 was, I was around for about six months, in and out, in and out, every few days, every few weeks. I think the most I got was 40 days one time. 
and, and yeah. I could not, I could not stay clean. I just could not. I would just, I'd be at that Alano club in Costa Mesa and I'd be sitting on my hands every day. My and, favorite place. Until oh, I find yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh God, the Chandler Lodge and that. So I was in, through my years, I, you know, like I counted it like official or whatever, but more importantly, I spent a year and four months of my life in inpatient treatment. Right. So it's 24 times and some of them were only like two weeks or whatever. One was five and a half months of cry help. Others were 90 days, whatever. So all this being in treatment and going to meetings and I was in Orange County and they always took us to that Costa Mesa Alano club. And when you're in the drug buggy and all those guys pounce on you and want you to join a motorcycle club. Like, <laughs> That's what he always says. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. You're talking about in 1991, if you went to that, uh, were you there in 91, 92? I, I don't know when it was. was. Ah. I was huh? sober in 1991. There was a lot there. of motorcycle guys going there, don't you think? Yeah, there were. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> then the other one was the other one was Chandler Lodge that's in the valley by the train tracks. Like you we'd go in the cry help van and you just walk out like before you even stepped out of the van and say, You have a sponsor? What, are you working a program? <laughs> just like bouncing on the newcomers. <clears throat> I hated being in the drug van, the rehab van. It's like there's certain amount of old timers that just wait for the van to come. To well, shame you know, the people and pounce on them. Right. The, the only thing worse I was going to say is when, when the people show up and they go, yeah, if you're in some fancy treatment facility and they're running people off and they don't even know Yeah, what who is they that are. they say? I was so always so angry. I never even heard. But yeah, I would hear them say, you know, if you're here against your own will in a drug buggy or whatever, like. Like what were they say, trying to make the point? Like we're not really sober. Or what it's not. You know, it, it, I, don't, it's, uh, I don't know what the hell that is. It, it's the same. It's the same people that that do the the mountaintop preaching where they they tell people what they need to hear when they haven't talked to the people. So how do they know what they need to hear if they don't know them? But it, isn't know? it isn't it about personality and charisma? So there's a guy. I went to this meeting every a couple. Of, on one particular morning, it's every morning, I think at 9 a.m., it's called Witsit by Laurel Canyon and Witsit. I went there religiously because I live in Laurel Canyon. And there was this old guy, John, and he would always share the same thing. And he would do a burning desire of somebody, God forbid, picked on him. He would always say the same thing. I'm John, I'm a real alcoholic, and I haven't heard what I need to hear today. And then he would give his whole speech of what AA is, and blah, blah, blah. And I loved it because he was such a fucking character, right? It does have, it does do better if you're an old guy or Gloria. Gloria Scott would say shit to me that anyone else on earth say to me, and I would fucking never talk to him again, right? <laughs> I, I, I was, I had rehab. I had uh, OD two times in one day. I don't know if I recalled this story to you. It was a mistake uh, the second time. For sure, the second time was a, <laughs> was a mistake. I take full responsibility for the second time. <laughs> so I had been in rehab, and I escaped with Dick Rude. And then he, and then he <laughs> by the way, you can just leave. <laughs> I got Chuck Negron chasing me down the street. I got, like, trouble. <laughs> so so 90 million records enough uh, uh, yeah yeah so chuck i loved him uh, you know he was always trying to help me he really you know but anyways 
so I'm, I ran away from the rehab, left my suitcase behind or whatever. I don't know why I did that. I did that repeatedly. But I get to the 7-Eleven. I, I think I wanted to drink a beer before they came down and tried to talk me back into going in the thing. And I'm sitting at the bus stop, and Dick Root pulls up with that little old convertible of his, and I just jumped in the front seat and said, God shot. <laughs> Like, what are the odds? I'm escaping a rehab on Bundy and and Olympic Boulevard, and somebody I know who's a junkie pulls up right in front of me. I just literally jumped in his car. The window was down. It was a sunny day. And I looked at him. I said, God shot. And he goes, I'm sober. You got to get out of my car. (laughs) And I was like, You're you're not sober anymore, Dickie. You're not sober anymore. Not today. I was like, Let's go. Let's go. I've got money. Let's go. Let's go. And uh, and then he dumped me because you know I only had like sixty bucks or whatever, forty bucks. So, so I was I was relatively sober. Then I went over to Shante's house. He didn't want me staying there, but he gave me a bunch of heroin. And so then, and I had it. And I <laughs> Wait got. A second. And it, he gave you dope to go. Yeah, to go away. Get the fuck. <laughs> Here, here's some dope. Kick rocks. <laughs> he took it. Interview magazine ripped a page out. Put it like. Three hundred dollars worth of heroin, to, to, uh, like uh, in a envelope, folded up like coke, and handed it to me and said, "You have to go. I can't. I can't have you here. I can't have you here." And I saw that I left, walked out of Sunset. I get a cab. I snort it. I OD. I very powerful stuff. I don't know. I don't know how to explain. It. So I, it, luckily, I OD'd at La Brea and Melrose, right by the by the uh, the hot dog stand, and there used to be a flower store there. And this lady, apparently, I don't know the story, but she resuscitated me. I'm in an ambulance. I remember sitting up and I'm going to Cedars. So then I get to Cedars and then my girlfriend at the time calls all the AA police and they come out and and they want me to go to rehab. And I'm like, I'm not going to rehab. And I remember, um, you know, my sponsor was there, this guy, Ben, and, uh, and he said, you know, you know, I, I can't smile. You know, he's mad at me because I wouldn't go. You just died and blah, blah, blah. And Gloria just sat there calmly. And then she was the last person there. And I was waiting to get my clothes to get released. And she was looking at me. And I, I go, I go, what, what, what? And she goes, I'm just thinking. I'm just wondering. And I said, what? And she goes, what kind of fucking father you think you are? Right? wow, that's a low blow to a little very sensitive drug addict guy. Never at once did I think of Elijah, who's engineering right now. I just didn't want to go to rehab, and I was being the infant terrible and the baby that doesn't want to go to rehab. So then, in reaction to her saying that mean thing to me, and I got my clothes, that my heroin was still in the in the shirt pocket. I went in the bathroom of Cedar sinai Emergency Room, did more dope than Narcan wore off, and I OD'd in the bathroom of Cedars. <laughs> that was the mistake. I admit that was irresponsible, stupid, reactionary. The first one is is just a you know that's a common thing, but the second one was selfish. So I don't know if you know this, but if you refuse medical attention, you can't be readmitted to that hospital. So they got me OD'd, <laughs> resuscitated in the lobby of the emergency room, but they can't admit me to Cedars. So they put me in an ambulance and they send me to a psych ward. Right? Oh. And that was 
And that was uh, CPC Westwood where Chuck Nagon and Buddy Arnold worked. And they were like, that's when Chuck Nagon told me, I sold 99 million records. And I was like, I've sold, I haven't even sold a million records, but I'm cooler than you. <laughs> you know, he's such, he's such a loving that. guy. I don't know if you know, he's a singer of Three Dog Night. He's such a great guy. He was a drug counselor. It, it, actually, I followed in his footsteps, really. I was a singer of a band. I, but I never walked into a room saying, I sold 53,000 records. <laughs> you know I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I've handed out several tapes. <laughs> Maybe the rapper someday will say, "I handed out several of my CDs on Hollywood and Highland." Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know what it's like. What do those people want when they're handing out the CDs? They want money, right? Yeah, they're so aggressive. They put it in your hand, and then they want a donation. Yeah, just don't don't take anything from anybody. Yeah, I don't anywhere. take anything from anybody. But I, you know. But anyways, uh, side note: Have you seen the new MGMT video called "Bubblegum Dog"? It's no. so good. It's filmed there on Hollywood and Highland. Like they're like a New York band, but they filmed on Hollywood. It's really, it's because I love Hollywood and Highland. Most people don't. I just, I love everything Hollywood. Don't you, Johnny? You're a big Hollywood guy, even though you live. Yeah, I love it. Live? I miss it. I'm back huh? in Santa Ana. Yeah. I've been well, you lived, six you, years. You lived, where did you live when you lived in Hollywood? In Silver Lake or I, where? I was up there for 25 years. God. What, what, that... Where at? I started off in Burbank for a year. Because I had to, I was living in Long Beach, and then my girl, my the the band, the Cadillac Tramps broke up, and then I broke up with my girlfriend, and I needed to go somewhere fast. So my, my buddy rented me a room <laughs> in Burbank. You had to go somewhere fast. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I had it. Wait a minute, John. Let's just let's just cheat that for the people at home. So you're a musician, and your girlfriend wants you out. <laughs> she wants, yeah. And the band, the way of looking at it. Band, of, her, band of her house where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've been there many times. Trust me. It's really a bummer when you're in Richmond, Virginia. You're like, you got to get out of here. I'm like, I thought we were in love. What is going on? Yeah, where do you go? <laughs> so I was in Burbank for a year, and then I was in, over in Santa Monica for a year, and then um, I moved into that place in Silver Lake next door to. Uh, Rana and Perrette, that little six unit right. play. Yeah. Uh, and I was there for 11 years. And then I was over in Highland Park for another 11 or years. And, uh, and then I came back down here in 2018. So Santa Ana is still like a dope central. I'm not, I'm not up on the street stuff. It used to be a lot of dope, but now I went there and there was art galleries. Yeah, downtown Santa Ana has completely changed. You know the big G. Um, <laughs> what is what is it called? A bunch of rehabs. <laughs> the big G. <laughs> There's my grandson. Oh my God, Isaiah! What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you he's, doing, buddy? He's very upset. <laughs> he's not not relaxing today. He's not relaxing. But um, but yeah, Santa Ana changed because when <laughs> I when I during the riots, I don't know if you remember this, but. For some reason, L.A. was shut down, but Santa Ana was not. And I would drive down to Santa Ana to score dope from this girl that I knew down there. And if you stayed too late, you couldn't get back because they closed the freeway at dusk or something, at sunset. And I remember, like, you know, because sometimes we indulge, John, at the drug dealer's house and we might fall yeah. asleep, doze off and forget track of time. 
it's understandable. And it was dark out. And I went, holy fuck, I can't get home. And I didn't, I wasn't, and she wasn't saying, oh, you can stay here, which not at that point in my life, 1993, no one was saying, hey, Bob, stay here. Stay with us. Everybody <laughs> wanted me to go. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, so then I'm like, no, I can't get back home. And I know I don't have any money to stay anywhere. And I don't really know anybody. And I remember just kind of wandering around in my car in Santa Ana, just trying to find a spot to listen to the radio and do the rest of my drugs and try to figure out what to do. And it was scary, 1993 Santa Ana. It's pretty yeah, scary. Was, yeah. Right. And now it's all art galleries in the same place where I was 30 that's years ago. Where, that's where I did all my, all my, that's where all my action was in Santa Ana. Like never once was I, what did I, well, we used to get loads from, uh, we'd go up to LA for, for loads off of, uh, off the 10. Remember that? Yeah, what off the, was, off the uh, 10 and uh, were you friends with that guy, Bradley, the guitar player of Heart of Nails? He used to get me loads there. The 10 at the 10 and La Siena guy, I think, or yeah. 10 and La Brea, 10 and La no, Brea. Yeah. Somewhere over there, right? Yeah, you uh, pull right by the Parisian room. Remember that jazz club that was right at the top of the hill, La Brea yeah. and Pico. And then you go down a little bit and then you pull in some driveway. Yeah. What a weird yeah. time it was where you had to learn certain areas, deal certain drugs, like loads yeah. of La Brea and, and Pico. And yeah. crack is like on the west side of MacArthur Park and heroin's on bonnie bray and burlington like it isn't that weird like now now apparently all the drug dealers sell everything like they have just a potpourri of things you can buy you just go on offer up an offer up what is and that it's now? all fentanyl on offer up in craigslist and they'll deliver it right but there used to be you has to you had no neighborhood so funny and i they didn't sell heroin at the load street they just sold loads and it's like four Doradin or Darvon or what was the drugs that it was? Codeine and Doradin. Codeine and Doradin. So you like that? Did you take them all? I just got too fucked up when I would take them all. I just like the pink ones. You could take a half of it. Oh, no. What would you do with the other half? Take it in a while. Forget who I was hanging out with. Anything you didn't take, Mike Mark did. Are you going to take that? Like if you bought like a triangle rock of crack. And I would, you know, break off one piece and hit it. And then I'd look down and it'd be gone. I'd be like, where did that go? And he goes, oh, you, I thought you were done with it. <laughs> no, I'm not done with it. I didn't want to smoke $10 worth in one hit. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that's, that's what he, did you know, Mike, he lived on, on, uh, fountain when it turns into that other street through silver lake going by trader joe's he lived in a house and is he's married at the time and the girl wouldn't let him do drugs in the house so he basically did drugs in the crawl space down below that he walked in this little thin door and it had all wood you know like the undersides of the old um uh bungalow houses they got dirt under them uh -huh. And he set up, he set up, he, like he had his guitar down there and a couple chairs and whatever. And we would just sit in the dirt underneath his house oh, and smoke he had crack. Like an unfinished basement, huh? Like yeah, an yeah. Basement. yeah. And yeah, and we would just sit down so there and, and, and you'd think, like, you know, this is what it's come to. We're just sitting under a house smoking crack all day. 
I don't think this is where we thought this would go. You know, that was probably 90, 89, 90, 70, 80, 88. And then, so we had, how long was you using career? So like, sounds like maybe eight years. I, I believe most people's real using careers are, are eight, seven, eight, nine years. And then there's however long it takes you to get sober. Right. Could yeah. take years like it did me. And then it's just clear sailing. And, and, but I've never, the, the people that lived long enough always had seven, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine years of using. And it seemed like that was a cap. And the people that went beyond that, like Top Jimmy or uh, Greg Limborg or some of our friends, they died pretty much in that era. But the rest of us, even though I was stumbling from probably, you know, my first rehab was 88 and I got sober in 96. I was still like believed sobriety was the way to go. I just couldn't do it. Were you like yeah. that? It was seven years. Um, yeah, because it was 12, basically 12 years old to like 19 years old. And the last three, I was on heroin. And, you know, but even even when I was 12, 13 years old, I was just smoking weed. But I was going after weed with the same kind of enthusiasm that I was going after dope with later, like, you know, stealing for it and like jumping over people's fences and stealing plants and, you know, finding out, <laughs> breaking break into houses to, you know, a pound of weed from some kid's dad that was sold weed, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Like every drug I did before the, the narcotics, I did with the same sort of like you know, just every single day, like constantly, like I were you obsessive about music too? Did you listen? Like, were you obsessive? When did you start becoming obsessed with music? Well, oh. I was always obsessed with music, and I played some guitar when I was young and everything. But I could not, I could not be in a band. I there was this band down here called Chronic Disorder. Uh, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think I remember and that band. Chalmer, remember Chalmer Lomry? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chalmer originally started the band and it had a few different versions and I was in the band in like around 83 and for about five minutes I mean literally for like five minutes and um, <laughs> the, the guy that's um, in the Brian Jonestown massacre Anton he was the Anton. singer Tony Newcomb <laughs> yeah he, Tony Newcomb as he was in in those days yeah. and uh he was the singer so I so the guitar player, Kurt, showed me, I was the other going to be the other guitar player. He showed me all the songs. Um, I learned them quick. And then um, we were going to play a couple of shows. One of them was a warehouse party somewhere down here. And the other one was at the cafe. And I, I didn't make it to either show. I just, just <laughs> I, didn't even, I, I couldn't even go. And, 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 you know, I just, I was just too... Uh, I was incapable of it. And then, it, you know, the guitar that I had at the time didn't like even last very long before. I never had gear. I never had, you know, regret like looking back on it all. Like I kind of wish I would have been able to be in, in the music part of, of, of the punk rock scene instead of so much into the drugs and shit. Cause for, a, it ended up that I just didn't even go to shows for a long time. Right. You know, like, My thing was, my thing was I was pretty far gone by the time Thelonious starts in 84, but it got started with some really 
normal responsible people or it never would have been like it would have if i was in charge and it was people like me if mike was in it it would never would have gotten off the ground but had john huck and pete was pretty normal and bill stobau and it had like normal people in it i was the only junkie in it really and so it gets off the ground but it's still i remember it gets the off the ground but it's still yeah, but i remember the my uh, Elijah, what was that? So, so it gets off the ground, and I remember we played our first real show at, at the Anti Club, I think, where we were going to get paid like fifty dollars, and I caused a hundred dollars worth of damage. So we had to pay fifty dollars to, to play to play. And you know, if it was me and Mike Martin, a bunch of junkies, or a bunch of punk rockers from Orange County, they're like we're never going to be able to play again. Like, you know what I mean? It just, I understand what you're saying. I would have been that too if I was surrounded by other people that were irresponsible. But luckily, I was like, KK Barrett was in our band. He's like a grown adult. And they kind of just guided me, right? Yeah. I didn't even know what I was going to be. I played guitar since I was like, I don't know, 14, not very well, but good enough to be in Thelonious Monster, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and Pete said, no, you're going to be the singer. And I was like, oh, okay no guitar and he said yeah no guitar you're just gonna be the singer and i was like i mean how lucky am i i'm this junkie i was a heroin addict the very first day Thelonious monster played a rehearsal i remember i was hung over and i was dope sick and um and i walked to i literally walked from the rehearsal place on western and santa monica boulevard to this market right by the freeway and i got aspirin and some beers that was my thing i like thought if you take two aspirin and drink a couple of beers that will like even out anything. And when you're 20, it does really yeah, it's actually really toxic for you. Yeah. Well, it worked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and, and so I come back and they got this song. And so I just said what I just did. That's where I found songwriting or whatever I was going to do. And the very first lines I ever wrote in my life as a musician were, went to supermarket, get some aspirin. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I literally just done 15 minutes before. Because <laughs> my head was hurting from a combination heroin and gin. Because it rhymes. See, aspirin and gin. <laughs> There was, and there was a guy in the parking lot and he was doing some peculiar fishing. I thought I was hallucinating. This guy was sitting in the parking lot with a fishing rod with a hook, just casting at people as they're pushing their shopping carts. And he would hook them and he was like, and I was like ducked down under him. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And and the guy was fishing. And so in the song it says, there was a man in the parking lot. He was doing some peculiar fishing. He had a rod and he had a reel. <laughs> and then I turn it on its ear like doors. Good time. Right. That was the first song I ever wrote was that. And it was only because of John and Bill Stobau and Pete Weiss and Chris Hansen. Cause I was incapable of doing anything constructive in my life. How lucky yeah. was I to fall in with yeah. those guys? Uh, you yeah. got really fortunate. I didn't understand how, like I, I was talking to Jeff Malucky and I was like, I don't know how you managed to do music through all your using. Because I, yeah, right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. How, how did how did you do it? Because for me, it's like if I'm getting loaded, that's what I'm doing today. It, it's not I'm going to get loaded and go to rehearsal. 
this is what I'm doing. And if I've got a place to do it, I'm going to stay right there. Yeah. You know, I don't I, know. I, I, we, we like, I don't know. We had, you know, all of us got loaded all the time. If you look at those original four bands of my generation or whatever, Fishbone, Jane's Addiction, Thelonious Monster, Chili Peppers, we were all loaded all the time. And we still made records and we still played. So that wasn't my experience. Like, seemed like, you know, you had to have some responsible people in the band. I mean, some people that organized that you're going to rehearse at this time. It's but, funny because I'm uh, thinking back. I had friends that I had my friends that were in bands and musicians, but then I had my friends that were the heroin friends, and those that was a totally different scene. It was like petty crime and people and going to jail yeah. and, and juvenile hall and all that shit, and just kind of a whole different thing. Like, and I would sort of ping pong back and forth between the two crowds. You know, like I would, I would try to get myself cleaned up off dope a little bit, and I'd hang out with my musician friends and I'd jam with them and shit. And uh, but then I would. It would and now pop. you're in how many bands do you play? So you got your own thing, the Johnny Two Bags. How many you made two albums? No, just the one. Just the one? Salvation. Just Salvation it's, Town? It's yeah. And it's a great it. album. It's great. Yeah. And you're great. And you're Thank like you. and it's you know, uh, me and my son Elvis played with you, open for you, I think, one time. We sang the I don't like school song. My son when he was like five, wrote a song called I Don't Like School. Elijah recorded it. We recorded it. And then he decided, like, I don't know if I should release a song called I Don't Like School. And it's a great song, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, yeah. the, chorus, the chorus goes, I don't like school. I don't like school. I don't like school. It's a really good song. <laughs> they didn't want to release it. But we yeah. opened for Giant Two Bags. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, uh, and this is so funny. Now he's 13 years old. He's six foot one. He has hair like Robert Plant. And he plays piano in the main stage band at his school. It's just so awesome. amazing how life just keeps rolling. Yeah. Elijah's a dad. This is yeah. crazy. Like Elijah was sharing on the last podcast. He's known Mike Mart since he was a newborn person. Mike Mart held my son, who's engineering this show, 37 years old soon. Um, or just turned 37 years old. Uh, Mike held him in his in his hands when he was like four days old, a week old, a week and a half old, two weeks old. That's like wild. Mike. And there's a picture that Elijah posted of Mike teaching Elijah how to play guitar. It's pretty. I saw that. Pretty That's heavy. Cool. Yeah. And so you know this guy that was part of our life and forever and today in both using and music and sobriety is just gone and i don't really know what to say anymore it's just like it's fucked it's um you know everybody says oh things happen for a reason i don't know i don't know about that mm -hmm. you know i see lots of shit happen that doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it it's just you know you ever seen that movie grizzly man yeah <laughs> where yeah. the guy gets eaten by the bear remember that yeah. Well, yeah. that happened remember, for a reason. <laughs> do you remember Vim Vender? The, the guy that makes it, Vim Vender, when he hears the 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 audio of them being eaten, and he gives a speech about the universe and you know the universe. Bobby thought that the universe was loving and kind, and and uh, you know what I mean. And he yeah. thought he thought grizzly bears were your friend, could be your friend. 
I think the universe is violent and colliding. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I, I saw it with Mike, actually. And we both came out of it like, I think it's both. I think what I think I always thought it was crazy and violent because I grew up traumatized, crazy, violent childhood. Then both the Hollywood Boulevard and the music community of Hollywood and the friendships I formed there and then sobriety have made me see like the world actually goes back and forth between this violent, chaotic thing and this beautiful, kind thing. It yeah. goes back and forth and back and forth. And I just... I'm just fascinated and curious about it and by it. And I think that's what keeps you alive. The curiosity about the, about the back and forth. Like, what is it? What is life? Is it, are people truly kind or are they deceptive? Are they sometimes kind and sometimes deceptive? Are there people that are all good? Are there people that are all bad? Are there people that are good and bad? Like, these are the deep questions of existence. And I had them, I had more conversations about this stuff with Mike when we were loaded than I ever did sober. How yeah. weird is that? Yeah. Right? And, you know, like this thing of like, are we good people just, you know, doing bad things? Or are we bad people that sometimes do good things? And, you know, I still haven't really solved it. I still don't know what it means. I know that, that, Mike Mart is dead and I'm sad and it makes me mad. All the stages of grief about it and um and it's it's unresolved. It's like a, a lot of unresolved feelings. Like we didn't even know the codes to do the podcast. Like it just happened so sudden and crazy and and even though it was scary and I knew the end was coming, I didn't really know the end was coming. And here's the thing. Somebody asked me, well, if you knew, then you knew. And I was like, yeah, but I still thought he had like six months or a year to live. Right. Yeah. And it turned out he only had six or eight days left to live. Yeah, so fucked so up. Fast. So fast. But we knew it was coming. Did you know it was coming? Did he confide in you or not? No, but you know what? I, I did. I did, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't supposed to know. Yeah, so I knew he. The only thing he told me is they took him off the transplant list, and I all I said was, "Well, do you have to do something to get back on?" And he said, "No, doesn't sound like it." And in that silence, I just knew, and he knew I knew, and he knew, and but still, you don't, still you don't think it's gonna be like in two weeks, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. It's like some, you know, I remember Jack Zinder. Do you remember Jack Zinder? We were talking it? about doing that thing that for, we've been talking about it for years, but then more recently it came back up trying to do that project or whatever. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, I really wanted to want to do that or want it. I think we should now do something with Mike's songs that never got recorded. But Jack Zinder died. He's one of our closest friends, died in being hit by a drunk driver on Sunset Boulevard on Thanksgiving night. Um, in the prime of his life, like, and I remember thinking, like, I, it's just so hard to believe he's gone. And I have that same feeling about Mike. It's just hard to believe it's, he's gone. Like all the other people, like Dix was sick for years and years and years. Like had emphysema, and he, you know, it was just a real up and down thing with 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 Dix. And and you know, Tomato Deplenty was sick for years and years, and he was always going to the hospital, and and. And Top Jimmy just knew, like, it's amazing he's still alive, is how I felt. 
And then Mike's thing was like 30 years sober and he's got these girls and he's just like, it seemed like he's in this prime of his life and then just gone. And it makes you how life, how fragile life is and how precious everything is. And, you know, and, you know, just like I thought there was going to be more conversations, you know, that, it's like here we are, huh? It's like it's I, like with a lot of there's uh, a lot of question marks. I have a lot of question marks. Yeah, right. I don't like it at all. I'm having a real hard time with it. Speaking yeah, of part of the de- of the deal. And uh, you know, it just seems like it for some reason it left a lot more space than usual. Left a lot more empty space when you passed. Yeah, he didn't know. even tell he didn't even tell me if he wants us to do the podcast if he wants us to keep doing it or not i don't even know if it's the right thing to do to do it i only did it because of him you know i like yeah. like i don't thing. know what the right thing to do is i want to honor the girls but i don't want to butt into their life so much i haven't really been that big a part of their life they used to come here when he did the podcast but i want to help i don't know who to help i don't know what to help I don't know who to talk to. I don't, I get angry about, um, you know, just the, 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 that, that he said, I don't want a funeral. Okay. Well, there's like 500 people that love you and have a lot of, a lot of grieving to do. It's not up to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, that whole, you know, that this goes back is he wants his ashes spread in New Mexico and on the Rio Grande. And immediately I hung up the phone. I was like, has Mike Mar even been to the Rio Grande? Like, trust me, if he's been to Texas, I went with him. Trust me, we were inseparable. <laughs> like, I don't remember going to the Rio Grande. Maybe we did, and I was just too drunk to remember. But like, why the Rio Grande? Bars and truck stops and nightclubs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was looking along the side of the road for something to truck her through. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like looking for the speed they throw out when they get pulled over. It's just yeah. like, you know, it's just like what? And then I talked to Dem and I said, I, you know, I don't know how the girls feel. I would like to spread a little bit of them along Hollywood Boulevard, like you know, just. You know, um, you can't. I, I guess that, it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, human remains. It's not. It's not. I, I, it's totally yeah, frowned death, on. Death is so cr- crazy. Yeah, there was a few when I was younger, you know, but we didn't have really that. The relationships were all drugs, right? It wasn't really like you know, like we didn't have a create. I didn't have the creative relationships with people I was using junk with, man, and, and things like that and well gabby died like, gabby died How, what was that like for you? did you guys did, did you guys talk did you talk yeah we we did and we the thing about that that is that the cadillac tramps did break up you know when, uh, i think it was 95 that we broke yeah. up and for a few years we weren't talking you know it wasn't good but we all eventually came back together kind of like you guys you know, I think right. you guys did the same thing, and we we were we were very close after that. And Gabby performed until he couldn't stand on stage anymore. We started playing shows again, and he was he was all for it. It was it was pretty amazing to watch him get up on stage in the condition that he was in. You know, right? But um, I mean, if did it wasn't for Gabby, I would have, I wouldn't I wouldn't have even I wouldn't even be in music. I don't think if it wasn't for Gabby. Because did you we, talk? Did you talk about how sick he was? Did he talk about what he yeah. wanted his memories to be and whatever? Yeah, 
Yeah. Hey. Well, we're going to have to have a consensus. Should we continue on with the podcast without Mike? I, I have this thing where Mike never really said things out loud. He kind of led you to figure it out. He liked, you know, he liked to, you to interpret things. He used to say, because I always was obsessed with, why'd you write that song? What's it about? Who's it about? Where'd you think of it? What, what happened? Because I'm a literal left brain songwriter. And Jackson Brown said a wise thing about, about somebody asked him what run on empty or one of his big hits is about. And he goes, it's about whatever the listener thinks it's about. Cause it's actually their song. now. I wrote it. I wrote it about the conditions that I thought of, but now it has a life of its own and it's whatever the listener thinks it is. And I love that. And Mike was kind of like that in life. So he, we don't have many guests on don't die. And he kept pushing and pushing. We gotta get Elijah on the show. We gotta get Elijah on the show for like three weeks. And I was like, okay. And I'm a little hesitant. I don't know what Elijah wants to talk about. There's a lot of shitty things he can talk about. Me. Oh, come on. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but I, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not a good interviewer, whatever. And, uh, but he kept insisting that Elijah be on the podcast. And, and Elijah was the last podcast that Mike did. And so then the idea was maybe he was sending a message like, yeah, I'm a pass along. Elijah's an engineer. Elijah can talk. Elijah knows how to confront you just like I do. <laughs> Elijah will replace me. I think I really think that's what he meant. I think Mike Mark consciously thought like that. Without he wasn't going to tell me, anything. hey, I think Elijah should replace me when I die. He just made sure that the last podcast we did, Elijah was the guest. Or That's maybe how I'm going to interpret it. What does it mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but and you you're going through it a lot. I, I you know, and I hope I hope everything's okay with you at home. And and Johnny, thanks for talking with us. And you know, yeah, thanks. For the, see, this is why I didn't want to do the memorial. It's been what nine days since he died today. Eight days. And it's already, it's not as raw as it was those first 72 hours. I cried m off and on the whole time. And now it's more of like this thing that's in the past. By the time, I, I don't like it when memorials are like two months later. Like, you're just like, what are we talking about here? Oh, Mike Mart, right, right, right. I want it to be like how great he was, how beautiful he was, how irritating he was, how cantankerous he was in real time i don't want it to go go by too too far away so trust somewhere... me though, you'll you'll get around that thing that event whatever that event turns out to be and you're gonna see you're gonna hear the songs most importantly and you're gonna see the photos and you and everyone's gonna be sharing stories and and it's gonna hit you right it'll hit you it'll be it'll be authentic because it's there yeah right and mm -hmm. I and I'm I'm violating my oath. About four years ago, I said I'm not going to any more funerals, and I haven't. Um, but I'll go to this this one. But um, it started happening when you know we have a lot of clients die, former clients die, and like literally, I could go to a funeral every couple weeks. I think Chuck, you're in that same boat, right? It's like I, I haven't been to yeah. one. I haven't been to one for probably six months or more. And I, I went to this girl that nice. was, it was so crazy. A friend of mine's daughter came to my rehab and, and she did good. And she's the reason why there's the don't die um, 
saying and she i have an aftercare group and everybody kind of comes to it but it's also the last group that a, a client has at our rehab and she was there and i said goodbye and i was standing in the driveway and i hugged her and i never saw her again she died like three weeks later of a drug overdose and you know her dad was a friend of mine and so from then every kid that graduated i just hugged them and said don't die and that's kind of how the don't die message started was over this girl and i went to her memorial at sober college in the valley and that, and i was and i you know i always feel like ah, oh, the rehab guy is you know coming around to the funeral I, but i went because the dad was there and i love the dad and i care about the family and i was looking at this wall of all these kids faces and the woman who runs Silver College came over and said, that's our memory wall. And I, mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was like literally like 45, 50 kids' faces on this wall of kids that had been in Silver College that had died. And I was just like, oh, my God, I don't think I can deal with this anymore. Because, you know, it's all Silver College, all 19, 20, 21. Do you know this program, Johnny? It's a, it's a no. college where you you're sober it's a rehab and college called sober college in the valley and i was wow. just like fuck man fuck this and so i went to that funeral that was the last funeral i went to and i haven't i didn't go to dix's i didn't go to lots of different family i didn't go to my own sister's funeral i was just like well i just can't do I, you know i'm just i don't know i want to remember them i don't want to go through the ritual of it and now I'm going to be going to Mike's because he didn't ask me whether I was oh. or not. <laughs> you know, he, knew, though, he knew I didn't go to funerals. He knew it. But he was like, oh, you got to go to Dix's. And I was like, no, I don't. No, I don't. You no, know, like my, my buddy, Nikki, when his wife, Tracy passed, it, it, it was, there's a beauty in a, in a memorial that uh because it is for those of us you know it's the survivor's guilt it's the people that are going to miss and it's the people that were closest to the people to know that their loved one was loved yeah. you know and there there's something you can get something from it where it's not just i, I get it i understand that the, we get connected to our clients right i'd much rather do a wedding than a funeral i've done a bunch of weddings too for clients you know a few years down the road when their rehab romance pays off and they've got a couple kids um, <laughs> <laughs> happened more than once Early um, on sure. oh yeah but but the idea but yeah you know it i just think it's funny that a guy who had a band called funeral doesn't want to have one Right. Let me tell you, let me tell you something Elijah and I experienced. Elijah was probably, I don't know, how old were we, like 14 or something? We went to my nephew's funeral, who this kid was a hurricane through all our lives. He held a gun to my sister's head for money for drugs. He robbed he robbed the Walgreens on War Beach and Warner of their narcotics, and the girl who worked there went to high school with him and knew where he lived. He had I mean, the worst he, hustle, the worst drug hustle, a, too, where he'd talk he, a doctor into prescriptions and then he'd add two zeros after the. We go to the funeral. It's at this Catholic church that my family goes to in Huntington, right there at like Heil and, and Edinger, Heil and I forget. And, uh, and Elijah and I are sitting there. It's one of the first funerals I think you ever went to, right? You went to Bill yeah. Stobow's and you went to that. And they got his surfboard against his coffin. He hasn't surfed in 
seven years. He's just been a junkie hitting himself in the head with two by fours going to emergency rooms. And, uh, and he robbed my sister at gunpoint and I told him I was going to kill him because he was threatening to kill my sister. And he was just like a hurricane, like, like a lot of kids are, I know, but it was the first one like this I had ever experienced. Like just, you know, in my generation, in my generation, you just go away from your family and you never talk to him again. This is like, torturing my sister and brother-in-law whatever and so they're talking about how great he is and when he was a surfer on the high school surf team and da, 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 and they totally exclude most of the last seven years of his life and now he's in heaven right and elijah leans over to me and goes dad let me get this straight so brian who never did good any good for anybody is in heaven now and you and me because we're atheists are going to hell how does that work again do you remember saying that elijah <laughs> oh, that sounds right <laughs> <laughs> and, because and I, was, and I said like the great pop i am oh it's all theater it's all bullshit <laughs> we went who up knows? and sang. Who knows do you remember we, we we sang with your sister at your house yeah sang amazing grace Right, we did. And then one of his dope running buddies came with a boombox and played the Puff Daddy Sting song, put it on the cast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was a and rough day. Not, it was a rough and day. I, and I, I love this kid. I've known him since he was born. But, I mean, come on now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about all this stuff. And I guess we'll all find out someday. And I guess, guess what? Nine days ago, Mike Mart found out yep. what there is after this. Yeah. Yep. Right? And uh, John Fashanti has a has a weird philosophy of life. He was raised by some weird phys uh, spiritual physicist guy. Whatever you think it is, that's what you're going to experience. How crazy is that for an idea? Mm -hmm. If you think it's nothing, it's nothing. If you think it's heaven with without angels, it's that. If you think it's hell and you deserve to go to hell, then it's hell. If you do like whatever you think it is, that's what it is. Well, I'm going to think kinda... positive thoughts then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. I, I could use a rest. That's for sure. I've been, you know, I, Warren Zemon had that thing, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, I saw him right before he died, and he was sitting out on the ocean in Malibu, just sitting looking at the ocean. He was whittled away from cancer. And I walked up, because he and I were always – we kind of looked alike and like people would mistake me for Warren Zemon. I'd be like, no, like, I'm not Warren Zemon. I wish I was. I wish I wrote oh. this fucking song. No, the Carmelita he wrote, dude. Yeah. <laughs> fucking greatest song ever about Los Angeles. So Muhammad's really he was just sitting there and I realized I'm interrupting a moment he's having. Right? Like you could just oh, tell, like did. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sit here and have, yeah. You, know, you need to go away, Bob Forrest. <laughs> and I was like, sorry. And I walked back to the house where we were at, and I just watched him out there. He sat out there for like an hour and a half, like just sitting out there. It was a party at a friend of ours' house, and he just sat out there. And then a few months later, he was gone. So everybody's, everybody. That's the one thing that you know. Hank Williams said, "No one gets out of this world alive." Yeah. Yeah, and, and thanks for being on the show, Johnny, and thanks for yeah. being a good friend. And yeah, that's all I do. That's all I'm doing lately is telling my friends how much I love them. Is that a result of what's happened with Mike? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, yeah, right. for sure. I mean, right. that's what I got out of this whole thing is it's how temporary this thing is, and 
and just you know how much how much my my friends mean to me you know and there's just been right. there's been a lot lately you know john albert steve soto right john just, albert was crazy <laughs> like i live in claremont where he grew up and, and oh that's um, right and um yeah it's just it's just crazy it's crazy so this is what happens this is why uh i'll leave you with this betty davis said growing old ain't for sissies <laughs> she was the last actress standing of her whole generation she lived to be like 93 or 92 and she was tiny little lady and she's like all my friends are dead everyone i worked with is dead you know and so like you know it ain't for it's it's like i don't know right and um, i don't want to be the last man standing <laughs> yeah middle of the pack like a gazelle <laughs> so, like, not first not last <laughs> no you know but but getting back to that other thing it is i i you know, not not at such an extreme, but it, it's good to every once in a while, I'll send out a text that says something along the lines, I was thinking about you and it made me smile today. You know, not expecting a return or it, I don't want to particularly call somebody, but people don't know that you're thinking about them unless you tell them that you are. You can't go, hey, I thought about you freaking three months ago. But, you know, I with my small circle, we talk all the time, but with every once in a while, there's those things like, you, you know, you'll get a text from somebody out of the blue and it's just, Hey man, I was thinking about you. So I, I hope you're doing get, well. I, I never happens to me. I get texts. Hey, a friend of mine's <laughs> kid is on drugs. Can I give him your phone number? That's the text I get. I get, I get yeah. it all the time. Like, That's not what holy I do. Shit. Wish I've sent you that text multiple times. <laughs> That's what you get for calling yourself rehab, Bob. Yeah. Are we done here, poor Johnny? Yeah, we're done. Him to sleep. I'm All right, go to sleep, Johnny. Sleep. I'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Great talking with you, Johnny. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Night, night. Bye. -bye. Bye.